0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye, I'm Jesse Thorne. John Leguizamo, the actor, works a lot. Like, he has more than 150 credits on his IMDb. Carlito's Way, The Pest, The Ice Age Movies, To Wong Fu, almost infinitely more. He recently starred in the Academy Award-winning animated smash Encanto. He played Bruno. The Bruno that we don't talk about. But as great as all of those screen roles are, they're only one facet of Leguizamo's work. For 30 years, Leguizamo has also been working in the theater, making award-winning solo shows like Mambo Mouth, Sexaholics, and Freak. When I talked to him in 2019, he was in the middle of touring his most recent show, Latin History for Morons. The title kind of explains the show's conceit. With a chalkboard and a professory outfit, Leguizamo gives the audience a history of the Americas that you don't always see in textbooks. Stories about oppression, exploitation, disease, and war. And because it's John Leguizamo, he tells these stories with funny voices, uh, recreating historical figures who have long since died. The show starts on a personal note. Leguizamo tells a story from a few years back when his son was bullied over his heritage at school. Leguizamo wanted to do something about it, give his kids something to be proud of. He talks about that incident in the show, how it happened, how it affected his son, and as you're about to hear, how it affected him.
2: I leave my therapist's office with an untreated chronic case of ghetto rage. And uh, time out, Urban Dictionary time. For anybody here who doesn't know what ghetto rage is, well, it's it's when the whole world keeps telling you that you're worthless, and you fight these microaggressions daily, but when you start to lose that battle, you start drowning in this this self-loathing, burning rage, but but as a Latin man, as a Latin man, you can't even get angry because Homeland Security, the INS or the police could decide you're a threat. And the next person to be shot or deported could be you or me. Because Latin life is cheap in America.
1: was mm. a pretty intense <laughs> intro. John Languasamo, welcome to Bullseye. It's nice to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, that, 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 that's one of the most intense moments in, in the night.
1: Yeah, mostly it's you goofing around and and uh, waving a copy of the Open Veins of Latin America around.
2: Yeah, yeah, or 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 in my underwear, or yeah, yes, yeah, there's or, an or extended chalk in my hair. Yeah. There's an extended underwear sequence. <laughs> yes, yes, there is for those people who are a fan of Breaking Bad and, and old men in their drawers. <laughs> but yeah, but that that's an intense moment, and there's a few of them, but that one is sort of a call to what it's really like to be Latinx in America.
1: You uh, were born in Colombia, but you grew up in New York City.
2: Jackson Heights. Yeah, I was here when, since I was three.
1: Yeah. So, to what extent did you think of yourself as Colombian when you were a kid?
2: Well, you know, you, you always feel like you're American until <laughs> until somebody others you. You know, and I remember that when I was like about eight or nine, and uh, I'm playing with some kids, and and I beat them at at stick ball, and then they, you know, then they would like, you know, once you go back to your country, you suck, you. S-. And I was like, "Wow, I didn't realize, you know." And you go home, you look at yourself. Oh, wow, I'm. I thought we were all the same, but I guess I'm not, you know. And then you start to realize, you know, this, these interactions keep continue to happen, and you start feeling more other and more other, and you start realizing, "Oh, wow, I have, a, I have, I, I." It develops a different perspective of America because you're not you're no longer on the inside. You're kind of on the inside and the outside, so it gives you a bird's eye view because you're forced to. Look at it in a, in, from an outsider's point of view.
1: Growing up, you also had, by circumstance, an inside outside perspective because your family didn't stay in one place for very long, right?
2: Well, yeah, I guess it's like the typical actor's uh, uh, sort of genesis. You know, like they're always army brats, or, or like m- myself. You know, I moved every year of my life till I was about fifteen. And then started replicating that pattern later on in my life.
1: Was that because of work or because of getting evicted or because of why?
2: <laughs> it wasn't. We were we weren't on the lamb. We were on the witness witness protection program. It was it was just my parents were improving that lot in life every year. Every year we started out in an apartment where we all slept on the same bed, and then the next year we moved to another place where we had two beds <laughs> and then we when they, finally my parents had a room of their own and we slept in the living room. Then eventually my brother and I had shared a room. You know, just every year it improved till we had a house full of uh, renters and they rented out every room in the house and made income that way. But, I, you know, it made me have to, it forced me to, you know, learn how to make friends real quick, real fast. And also at the same time, since I didn't have sort of shared personal stories with anybody, I always had this incredible urge to create my story to, with somebody you know and i guess that's what made me want to write one man shows and to share my story and my life cuz i i missed that so much growing up
1: did you have an identity as a colombian american did do you, was there did that mean anything to you in your life as a as a teenager
2: a little bit a little bit i mean i mostly felt latin you know what i mean cuz i was in new york city and all my friends were all puerto rican dominican ecuadorian Chilean, our, everything. Everybody was represented there, so I just felt Latin. You know what I mean? And so that, which was really nice, because because I felt like i that felt like a community. You know, I felt like we all speak Spanish, we all have a little bit of different food, but it's all kind of similar anyway. <laughs> we all dig each other's food. We all dig salsa and merengue and cumbias, and we all dig house parties. You know, so that that was my sense of community.
1: You know, I was thinking of that as I was watching uh, your show that. You know, growing up in California, uh, to be Latino meant uh, you know, for people in my neighborhood, it meant to be Mexican, right, right. to some extent Salvadoran and Guatemalan, um, Central, Central American. 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 Yeah. And in New York, the 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 uh Caribbean is big Latino all, community all, is all so much North. more powerful. Yeah. Like I didn't know any Cuban people when I was a kid, you know what I mean? Like I probably knew 10 the love of and my life when I was no fifteen
2: was, was a Cuban Puerto Rican girl. <laughs> yeah, I remember her well.
1: <laughs> you want to tell me about her?
2: <laughs> Your face is beaming. Oh, right yeah, now. Oh yeah, no, it was, like, it was it was a highlighter. You know, it was a highlight of my life. Is I'm not going to say her name because she's probably married and, and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she was stunning, and she was you know she was uh, ab- uh, uh, above my uh, my pay grade, so to speak. <laughs>
1: We have so much more to get into. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Leguizamo. He is, of course, a super famous actor who has been in over 100 movies and TV shows, including Encanto, which just won an Academy Award. He's also written and performed in some incredible solo stage shows, when I talked to him in 2019, he just launched a national tour of Latin history for morons. Let's get back into our conversation. I think one of the interesting things about your career is that you did not get into comedy and acting through stand-up or through improv or sketch. Although you you did sketch on. TV. I did all that. Yeah, yeah. I, did,
2: I did sketch. I did improv. I did. I did all that. And, and... But,
1: but you were a theater. You're a theater dude. Like end of the day, you're kind of a theater dude. Like.
2: Well, the, I don't. I didn't really love stand up that right. much. Yeah, there's only a few stand ups that I've loved my whole life, and that's Richard Pryor, and Lenny Bruce, and Jonathan Winters. Those are the three guys that have. I know. I know they're old school, but but they're they're my heroes and my idols, and the people I aspired to be. You know, Jonathan, uh,
1: Jonathan Winters and and uh, and Pryor are both very like I can see their influence directly in yes, their work. Absolutely. Like they are about. Embodying other people in right. their comedy,
2: and 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 the and the personal sharing, and and the way that Jonathan Winters creates a whole world, like nobody else has ever done, creates a whole world. You know the 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 spaceships. You know he'll create all that, and he creates you know the the guns. You know he, he did all the sound effects. He loved that, and loved becoming so many different people in one scene. And nobody, nobody was doing that.
1: But like, by the time you were, uh, by the time you were a teenager or a young adult, like the stand-up world was pretty dominated by the the lane that you know Carlin and Cosby opened up, which is like, I'm a I'm a normal guy standing on stage telling you some ideas from my relatively normal voice, and you know some sort of novelty Mm -hmm. acts as well. But like, nothing as theatrical as Jonathan
2: Winters. No, nothing as theatrical as Jonathan Winters, and nothing as daring as Richard Pryor, and then. I, I took it a step further, you know. I I had I had seen Lily Tomlin's Signs of Intelligent Life, Eric Bogosian, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, and and Whoopi Goldberg, and I was like, why? Wait a minute, I can create my own brand new hybrid of everything, and and no one was doing that. Like a autobiographical play of your life on Broadway, Freak, and that was my contribution to to not not because. I thought my life was so fascinating, quite the opposite. I just felt like my life is so average that I can create sort of a mirror to a lot of Latin people to see themselves and to and to enjoy the struggles that we go through because to me, being Latin was like a superpower.
1: Which one of those shows was the first one that you saw? You uh, 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 Lily Town was the first. Did you see it in New York on on stage?
2: I second acted it, unfortunately, because I was broke. So I only knew the second act. <laughs>
1: so that means you walked in at intermission when uh, yeah. nobody was guarding the doors. So. Right, right.
2: Thank you for explaining it to people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you put out your best uh, Sunday suit that you had. And, and and I always smoked since I was 13. So <laughs> I had a cigarette. And then you grab a playbill, and then you run to the bathroom. And then when everybody's seated, and they, they do the chimes, Then you run to an empty seat and that's how I watch. So that's what helped me write too, because I saw so many plays on Broadway but only the second act. I had to imagine the first act. So that's what taught me how to write. The first show
1: of yours I saw was Mambo Mouth.
2: Oh 1990, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think I mean I think I saw it a few years later on VHS. Pro, know,
2: most likely, yeah. 1994 it was on HBO, yeah. or something
1: like Bootleg that. Bootleg
2: copy pirated. I definitely didn't see it on <laughs> HBO.
1: I can't claim to have had HBO as a child. Somebody
2: filming it, you see them bouncing up and down and people crossing your front. I
1: I definitely remember when I got basic cable, so premium cable was not in the picture.
2: <laughs> Nobody could afford that nonsense, man. Everybody was getting illegally, and I remember trying to get all the illegal boxes so you could watch HBO. Uh,
1: Mamba Mouse w- was a show that was kind of vignettes from one neighborhood. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Very good, man.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about where it came from?
2: Well, I was in my acting career and uh kind of like very disappointed in Hollywood or Hollywood and the fact that I never saw Latin people in any positive way even though we we were almost equal to white in whites in population size in New York City, there was never anything on us anywhere, and I was going, "Wait a minute, what is going on here?" There, there's You had a-
1: done what? Like you had done like an ep- a few episodes I've done of TV, of TV or something. Vibes. I did some Miami um, Vice.
2: Uh, I did some. did a movie, *Casualties of War*, with um, uh, Sean Penn and, and, and Brian De Palma and Michael J. Fox. I, I, I've done some other some other movies at the time, but it was all like it's like it was always like so. Uh, you know, the drug dealers, and, and, and I was so tired of that. You know, it's crazy because, look, we're, it's a, it's a, I mean, even right now, it's a cultural apartheid. I mean, we're 35% of the population in New York City, and white people are 35% of the population of New York City. We're the same exact population size. Less than 1% of the positive stories in the New York Times or any magazine, the New Yorker, New York Magazine, the Post, are about us. And yet, we're doing tons of incredible things. We're, we, Latin music, is number one in the world right now. Jay Balvin is the the most played musician on Spotify. To, to, uh, six or seven of the top ten hit masters are all Latin. Uh, Jay Balvin, Ozuna, uh, Rosario, uh, Camilla Cabello, uh, Cardi B, Bruno Mars, J Lo. I mean, it's crazy. And yet, in Hollywood, where we're fifty percent of the population, and less than three percent of the faces in front of the camera, behind the camera, that's cultural apartheid. And we and we buy twenty five percent of the United States box office.
1: So we were talking about Mambo Mouth. So this is like you're you're a you're a young man, you're like in your late twenties or something like that. When when you oh, did yeah, Mambo yeah. Mouth, twenty six. Yeah. So uh, where did the show come from?
2: Ah, uh, you want to go back to that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> staying on point. Uh, well, it was, it, was it, it, it I just felt the lack of representation of Latin people and, and, and what I started to see personally sort of, sort of the exclusion of us. I wanted to to talk to everybody I knew, I grew up and I, so I did this show for every myself and everybody I grew up with and it's to see ourselves and to spoof the media and to spoof what was going on and how the media saw us and uh, so I did this show and you know, it was in the you know, nobody, people believed in it, but not really. They didn't know what to do with me. So they put me in the hallway of the American Place Theater. And I, had, I went up at seven. I had to be done by nine where the real main stage show would go on in, in in the real theater. I had 70 fold-up seats. But then the reviews came out and there was Al Pacino in the house and, and Sam Shepard and Arthur Miller. Olympia Dukakis, George Plimpton. I mean, here were all these illustrious people in this tiny hallway uh, in a makeshift platform stage. And then they would move all my stuff and and I would make sure I'd run around real quick and shake hands with, you know, Sam Shepard and talk to him and Arthur Miller. And that was the beginning of what I wanted to do. But not till it was on HBO did it really reach the audience I was dreaming of targeting. You know, when it hit HBO, everybody had their bootleg copy of Mambo Mouth. And and people started recognizing me on the street. And, and f- f- filled with so much joy that th- I, I could represent them in a way. You know, it was very interesting for them to feel seen. To feel seen is such an incredible feeling for a Latinx person when you don't see yourself seen except negatively constantly.
1: I feel like the thing that was moving to me at the time when I saw the show, when I was 13 or whatever it was, was while I grew up in a you know, West Coast city, completely different from New York City. Yeah, yeah. I still felt very deeply this thing about living in the city, which is the number of people that you see mm-hmm. every in every action that you take, every time you go to the corner store or bodega, um, <laughs> every time you go to the corner store, you know, the people that you interact with and every single one of those people is a human being with a full life right and you know maybe you have windows into little pieces of their life but what i loved about the show was that it felt like it was an attempt to show the humanity of all these people Mm -hmm. that surround us in a place Mm -hmm. like the city
2: yeah yeah i'm sure that 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 was my purpose i i i wanted to to show people how funny we are and, and, and to celebrate our culture and yet, but yet I, I had a dark side, so it was always had a a dark element to it. You know, I I always felt like American comedy was kind of light and and glib. And I I think I helped change that in comedy to add a lot more darkness, a lot more edge, a lot more aggressiveness and a lot more sexuality to it. You know,
1: it's bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Leguizamo. Let's listen to a clip from Leguizamo's first off-Broadway show, Mambo Mouth. In the show, John plays seven different characters from his past growing up in New York City. Manny the Fanny is one of them, a sex worker with a sharp wit and a good heart. In this clip, Manny's telling a story about being cheated on and getting revenge.
0: When I caught winds and I did Sleeping Beauty awoke. And I came home early one night and I unscrew all the bulbs in the house, and I hid in the closet with an iron in one hand, and crazy glue in the other. And I waited. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I thought he was never gonna come, right? But at exactly midnight, in sachets, the juris Hijo de p-, all right? <laughs> Trying to turn the lights on and calling my name, oh, lovey dovey and such, oh, Manny, baby, I got some for you. I got some for you. I got some for you too. <laughs> and I just held my breath, cause this girl wasn't about to let his magic wand cast a spell on her again. <laughs>
1: I think I I uh I I like my memory was vividly triggered by crazy goo, crazy in <laughs> La in la
2: <laughs> Crazy stories man I mean yeah, they're all like sort of compilations of things I had, I had heard people tell me in urban legend and and just it, it just personified it you know gave it a body and a and a voice
1: There's kind of a sweetness to it like I know that you're I know that you're telling us about how edgy and dark you are. Yeah. And that's true, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Very sexual, et cetera. True, true that. <laughs> um, but I, one of the things I remember is, you know, some of these characters are big, but they all have a real, like you have a real regard for all of them.
2: Right, a respect. And a, uh, yeah, I mean, I respect their lives no matter how different they are from mine, I feel like we all share this planet and we're all other eyes. So I got to give them some heart, you know? I mean, I felt, always felt like I connected to everybody.
1: When you wrote Freak, it was one of the first times you had really written about yourself.
2: Right, that was the first, that was the first time. Cause Spikorama was kind of me and my family, but it was all fictionalized, which is usually, <laughs> it's what people y- usually do. And then by Freak, I was like, no, there's a lot of stuff that I need to talk about that that happened to me personally that I hope gives other people inspiration, you know, just growing up in in New York City and, and just how aggressive, you know, my situation was at home and outside and how you survive it. And humor was what saved me. More with John Leguizamo still to come. After the break, we'll talk about how he deals
1: with racism nowadays, both as a writer and as a father. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
2: Max Fun Drive is just around the corner.
0: 2022.
2: Starting April 25th, it's the best time of the year to support your favorite shows by becoming a Max Fun member or upgrading your membership.
0: Just two weeks.
2: We've got some great episodes and amazing thank you gifts in store. And who knows, maybe a few surprises.
0: Don't forget bonus content.
2: So make sure to tune in starting Monday, April 25th, to get all the juicy details on what each show has in store
0: wait, what are the details anyway? And why are they juicy? That's kind of a strange adjective to describe details.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is John Leguizamo. He's the star of Encanto and the solo stage show, Latin History for Morons. There, there's a moment in the new show... Uh, Where you are portraying yourself in therapy with your therapist, my new therapist of the the time, yeah, Yeah, which I love,
2: Doctor T. You're
1: now, you're now therapist, my current therapist, who you describe as talking like Tim Gunn, (laughs) Um, and you're, you know, sort of the through line of the show is that you're looking for, you're looking for a Latin hero for your kid Mm. who's writing a history report, right, and. There's this moment where you're sitting in therapy and your therapist asks you in his Tim Gunn voice, well, (laughs) if you're looking for a Latin hero, what about your father? Uh. And you don't do much with that in the show. You kind of let it lie. You kind of move in a different direction from there, but it's very powerful because you don't reply with. <laughs> right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for the insight, Dr. T. <laughs> yeah. And that that was a lot of what uh, a lot of what your, you know, Freak and your other autobiographical work has been about. That's a right. significant I mean, thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, Freak was all about my coming of age and my relationship with my dad. And uh, I felt like I, I had dealt with it. And I was hoping that, you know, the people coming to see me already had the history, the backstory. And if you didn't, you know, you can look it up or you can make it up in your mind, you know, as to why he's not my hero. (laughs) I
1: mean, I think it's particularly consequential because of the fact that the reason you're looking for a hero is for your own son. Right.
2: Because he cut to 2012 and my son is being bullied at school the same way that I was bullied, and it's like, how is this happening in the modern world? How is this happening in New York City in this private school? And you're like, it, it can't be happening to my son. I can't. And so that's why that was kind of the genesis of the show was my trying to give my son facts and Latin heroes and Latin contributions and things he could fight and, and arm himself with ammunition to defend himself without using his fists, without having to resort to the way that I grew up. And uh, I wanted to be an evolved dad. And what ended up happening was like, oh, my God, I'm the one that's being unmoronized. I'm the one that's being destupefied and shown that we land people made America. You know, the facts that I started to come up with were crazy. Like, we're, we're the second oldest ethnic group in America after Native Americans. That we're the only ethnic group that has fought in every single war America has ever had that were the most decorated minority in each and every single war. And I'm talking about American Revolutionary War where 10,000 unrecognized Latino patriots fought, where we had Cuban women in the American Revolution in Virginia sell their jewelry, the hoop earrings, door knockers, and gold teeth to feed their patriots. <laughs> And Galvez, who had an army of misfits, of like they're like the Mets of armies, he had three thousand Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Mexican Americans, freed slaves, and Native Americans, and they kicked the. He was like the George Washington of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Pensacola, and kicked the British out. Then he donated seventy thousand dollars worth of weapons to George Washington. So we too are the sons and daughters of the American Revolution. These facts changed me. I can no longer be the John I used to be before these facts. I have been transformed. No one can make me feel less anymore. How
1: important is it to you that your identity encompasses, as you said, being Latin, right? Being Latino or Latinx, rather than being Colombian or Puerto Rican, or in addition to being Colombian or Puerto Rican, that there is... That there is a commonality with, with people who are in, you know, people who are in Peru and people who are in yeah. the Dominican and
2: people who are in, you know, Chihuahua. I, I just feel like they're my brothers and sisters, just like Americans feel like Californians and, and New Yorkers are brothers and sisters. I mean, we're all, I, I, I feel their pain. I feel their joy. And I, I just think a little bit of an accent and a, a different spice in your food is not going to make me feel different than you. It's not enough to differentiate me from you. We And I and I see them come to my shows, people from all walks of life, because when I start drawing the 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 the, the South American map, Central American, Caribbean, you hear everybody. Yeah. It's their shout-out time. And uh, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's just like in the audience, somebody's just going, Mofongo!
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get to the Dominican, and I go, Oh, tigre, oh, tigre which is my Dominican shout out and uh, it's beautiful to see it and you know what here I'm in the West Coast obviously it's so interesting because when I'm in New York when I say Puerto Rico Dominican Republic and South America you know they the 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 place you can't even hear because it's so loud and here's the opposite when I go to Mexico it's boom you know it and then the, and then Puerto Rico is a little smaller Colombia's small <laughs> and Dominican Republic is small it's like oh wow so interesting but they still shout out in the same, sort of proud, powerful way to be heard and seen.
1: I felt like they had that there were there's two there's two moments in the show where the audience has that reaction. One is when you're drawing a map on the blackboard, as right. you described, and and talking a, a little bit about the different places in Latin America. And the
2: populations of the of the empires, yeah. Yeah. Taino, and, Incan, Aztec.
1: And there's a, another moment where you just list dance beats. Like, you're like, okay, cumbia. Right, right. You like, go go through the list. (laughs) And like, you can tell where people's loyalties lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) Because there's certain music, you know, like, I know a lot of Puerto Rican people say, where's salsa? But I, I have it in the. It's a closing song. Is is salsa?
1: Yeah, because you very you. I was. It was. conspicuous could to me. I, I, would, I,
2: would, I would. end up being like. So KD. I know
1: people are serious about their salsa. If you're not, if you're not the right salsero, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna get up in your business. Oh about yeah, it. they're
2: gonna, they got in my business, and I was like, you're right. <laughs> I just couldn't do. I couldn't weave it incorrectly and I just couldn't do more because I'm already exhausted. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm trying I'm still
1: working on that cha-cha.
2: <laughs> oh boy. But I got the cha-cha, I got the bombo, I got the samba and I got the cumbia and the, uh, what was the opening one? Tango. Yeah. So I covered a lot. <laughs> and then I got merengue in there. I got merengue later on when I went out, when uh, uh, I'm doing the the, the 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 talking to the policeman and, <laughs> and trying to pass for white and then he puts on the merengue and I can't stop dancing <laughs> and then I saw so out myself.
1: Do you think your son has a different relationship to being Latino than you do?
2: Yeah, you know, cuz my son is half, you know, he's half white and half, you know, he's he's a, he's a, a mixed kid and and he's, you know, half Jewish. So yeah, he is he's a little bit of different. You know, it's a little bit different. He, you know, cuz he he presents whiter. You know, so that that has a lot to do with it.
1: Does he present as white? Like, do you think he? Do you think he passes if he, if nobody says anything?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, but he's got his deep, deep heritage. You know, he always listens to hip hop. Hip hop is his, is his jam. You know, he tried to speak Spanish. <laughs> you know, um, he loves girls uh, of color, so it's all good.
1: How, how do you think? Uh, how do you think his? experience is different other than just being half, like, what do you think it means to him that's different? Because part of this show is about you trying to teach him something about what it means.
2: Right. Because, yeah, I mean, he was racially profiled mostly, I guess, because of his relationship to me. So... I mean, I guess it hasn't been that long yet, you know. That's the problem with using your traumas in your work. Because, <laughs> you know, you're talking about stuff that's really, really painful. And uh, as my therapist says, it's it's a way to, It's uh, he says, it's it's like you play God with your own trauma by by putting into your art. Then you have control of it and it doesn't control you. Which is such a beautiful way of putting it.
1: I mean, I I know a lot of comics, and I often think that doing comedy is a way of controlling your relationships in the same way.
2: Like, yep, it's I, a way of dealing. All art, all art is dealing with. I mean, back then these used to say just fixations or or obsessions, but a lot of it is just really trauma or 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 or, or the issues that 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 demonize you, that control you.
1: I imagine that you wanted your kids to feel like that part of them that came from you was great and beautiful Mm -hmm. and not a source of pain or a stumbling block or whatever.
2: Right. I mean, I definitely wanted them to feel pride about themselves and and their Jewish side is called and of, and of their white side. You know, I'm not, I'm not anti-white. I mean, that's, that's crazy. You know, I, I want them to be proud of being white and Jewish and as, as much as they are Latin, Indian, and black in the, in them, you know, I want it all to be equal. I just ask to be equal. That's all.
1: Well, John like with Emma, I'm grateful to you for taking the time and I'm grateful to you for doing this work for yourself and your family and for everybody that sees the show.
2: Thank you, my brother.
1: John Leguizamo, Latin History for Morons, has wrapped up its U.S. tour. You can watch the show on Netflix. Encanto, the Academy Award-winning animated movie in which he starred, is available to rent or stream on all kinds of different platforms right now. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created... From the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here in my office, I just got one of those Dr. Pepper 10 to 4 clocks. I've always wanted to have one. I found one that was broken at the flea market. I went and got it fixed with a clock repair guy. It's up on my wall right now. I'm loving it. 10 2 4 is when you're supposed to have a, a Dr. Pepper to pep up your day. Our show is produced by Speaking into Microphones. It is not sponsored by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Although, <laughs> we would accept such a sponsorship. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio, Valerie Moffitt, and Richard Roby. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. Bullseye is on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Give us a follow. We'll share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember. All great radio hosts have a signature
0: sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.